Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Well, welcome back to another episode of Puzzling Company. It is your host, Zach, and always with me is... It's Jared. Hi, Jared. It's a weird day here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Why? It like thundered last night, but it's hot, but it's moist, but it's... So you're in Tennessee where the weather changes every eight hours. <laughs> I just I just feel like like we're the new Seattle. I don't remember there being this much rain. Interesting. I always felt like since I've lived here, because I've lived here my whole life, weather is just inconsistent, which is nice, but also awful because I never am prepared for the next day. I'm just hoping that we become like the birthplace of grunge 2.0. Interesting. I, yeah. I, I hope Murfreesboro can uh, fuel a musical movement. Okay, yeah. Well, <laughs> not to talk about a musical movement, but to talk about what he played on the show today, um, we got to cover Funny Pages. Oh, yes. Fresh off a of Kickstarter, too. Yes. Very yeah. excited about this game. Oh, it was, I mean, it was a blast to play through, and we're very excited to get to talk about it. But stick with us. We'll be right back. Hey, I just got back from the mail. Looks like we've got a new game to play. Oh, really? What is it? It's the new Escape the Crate game. Oh, I've been excited about this one. I'm personally a little confused. Okay. The title on the box just says Hood Unit. Okay, can you spell that? W-H-O-D-U-N-I-T. Oh, it's Who Done It, Jared. Yeah, in the new Escape the Crate game, it's the Escape Who Done It. It's like a classic murder mystery, but with a twist ending. I mean, agree to disagree on pronunciation, and by the way, it's twist, not twist. Okay. But what you can do is go over to escape-the-crate.com and use code PUZZLINGCO, puzzling C-O, all one word, and you'll get 25% off your first subscription order or any single retired box that they have. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. You are here in the first section of the show. This is where Jared and I get to discuss the game that we got to play, which was Funny Pages. It's kind of an area for us to kind of give our review of the game, give our likes, our room for improvements. This isn't an area to dog the game. It's just a, a place for us to speak our opinion and kind of talk about what we really enjoyed. One day we're just going to play the worst game of all time and it's just going to be on. No likes, no loves, just rooms for improvement. That's pretty rough. I don't think there's a game <laughs> that ever exists like I, that. I don't think there's a game out there like that. Um, but Jared, would you like to kind of start us into about what Funny Pages is, but then also what we started to like about it? Yeah, absolutely. It's really unique in its format. What it is, is it gives you really, really, really nice cards. Each one is a different comic and it plays nonlinear. It's kind of ironic based on what we were talking about the middle of our show last week as we've kind of run into this string of nonlinear games that we're playing. But each puzzle is a singular comic and comes to one answer. And then from there, you dive into a meta. There's a great narrative behind it that starts in a booklet that you get. And you are kind of just figuring out what's really going on here in classic Enigma Emporium style. You know, the small parts are going to add up to something big is mm -hmm. what I would say for this game. But really, really cool. And, and moving into the first thing is how I interpreted this game as a whole. And we're going to dive into each one of these is it's simultaneously this game is a love letter to comics and a love letter to puzzles. And we're going to talk about each one of those first, but let's start with the love letter to comics. Zach, on just a comic level, I just enjoyed these. Yeah, I mean, they're very hilarious. They have good one-liners. They're 
I mean, they're very well drawn. Like they're, they're all unique. There's not many that like have the same format or same style of joke. It, they're all just very well done. I mean, the like the quality of the artwork and like the comic itself is just phenomenal. It's it was a joy just to get to look at each of one of them and then laugh about the joke that was made in it and then like try to then do the puzzle that goes along with it. Did you grow up reading comics in the paper? No. See, I did a little bit. Like my dad loved Dilbert. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get any of the Dilbert jokes as a kid because they were all about workplace dynamics and yeah. things like that. But I remember sitting at the table as a kid and waiting for him to get done so that I could read the comics that I could understand, whether it was something with Snoopy in it. I think that's what it, this game is trying to draw on a lot is kind of this love for that style of comic. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's so much. I could be wrong about like the traditional comic book. Mm-hmm. but like more of the newspaper comic. Yeah. And you did, you get, you get like a small chuckle and you enjoy that. And I think even if we read back through some of them again, we may pick up on something. And, and I think that's just kind of the joy of a single picture comic and not a progression of comics is, Oh, there's, there's a lot of depth in these. And that's kind of fun. Zach, what are you uh, digging on the puzzle front? Cause I, I know you love Enigma Emporium puzzle. Like you see an Enigma Emporium puzzle, you get excited. Yeah. I, they're definitely, I enjoy Numeporia's puzzle style a lot. It's definitely one of my favorite things to get to do. It was a blast. I mean, they're all really well done. It was very creative how they were able to mask a lot of the puzzles into the actual comic. I, I mean, I had to chuckle a lot of them being like, oh, this is a funny comic. But then I would actually look in the background and be like, oh my gosh, I get the joke of like also the puzzle that goes with it. Like, and you know, you notice the one detail and then the comic has like a reference to the actual puzzle in it and you go, oh my gosh, like then it, it's fun because it felt like comparatively to some of their other experiences, it was a little bit easier to make the connection and you didn't need as much of an outside resource. So well said, sir. Um, but it, but it was so well done in terms of, I enjoyed the little like puzzle hunt elements I still got to do in this experience with funny pages but most of it be self-contained and then be able to explain it or like enjoy it without being like, Oh, Jared, this is how I pulled up like a eight page paper on this one. Like, you know, um, scientist from the 1800s. And that's explaining why I know this puzzle works. You know, this one, I'm just like, haha, there's doggos that do this thing. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. That does, that does give us a word. You know, I love what you said about it. It does feel like they've, they stepped down from their other publications. Mm-hmm it felt more attainable to the point where you laughed at me numerous times because I was so keyed up to do like a wish you were here that I was overthinking so many of the puzzles that I did. Yeah. There's one specific that was pretty hilarious watching you try to like, cause even we, we had talked to the, one of the creators and we were joking about, we both knew the answer, but Jared couldn't see it cause he was, he was just overthinking it too Uh, much if you if you play the game there's a certain puzzle that involves a primate and a building and just don't overthink it don't overthink it i i i went in deep and there was another one with some dogs that i handed it to that i handed to zach and he was like i solved it it's this is this is the answer and there was another one with a guy sitting on a couch and he was like this is the answer and i easily stared at each one of those for 20 to 25 minutes being like what? Cause I was just so, you were so ready for it to be. More I was, difficult. yes, I was so ready, but in classic Enigma Emporium style, Zach easily solved 75% of these. 
and I solved probably 25% to the point where it was getting a little petty where Zach was, we had our own, uh, we had our own colored sticky notes. Okay. You gave those to me. I did. I didn't do it to be like, I'm going to get more. I did. But it was like, it was like, it was definitely like a pile that Zach had solved and a pile that I had solved. And I was like, it's just Zach's jam, man. Like I can't compete in this realm of, of, of this style of puzzle, but it, it, it was a lot of fun. And then getting into the meta definitely upped the difficulty. Like I felt like the meta was like what I expect from a traditional Enigma Emporium puzzle. Yeah. The, I'd say the final two puzzles though, like I'm going to call it the pre-meta because that's the one I thought was going to be the meta puzzle. And then it actually was an actual meta puzzle. And I was like, Oh, okay. That makes more sense. They were both definitely jumping difficulty. And, and there are some of the comics that I think are decently difficult yes. or that you, people will get stuck on because yes. they're not. I'm saying these things in terms of like we made the comparison compared to their other products. There are some puzzles in here that still are on the level of difficulty. It's just less outside information, but more like making still making that connection or understanding like very specific tools that you need because you know even when we talk to the creator about it and other creators we've talked to there's sometimes unfortunately like i wouldn't say miscommunication but it's like that thing of they use a certain thing and hope people get it and if they're missing like the specific style of that tool then it kind of throws it off too much yes and there was a few moments of that in this game i think where it felt like it was really cool and there's a lot of really fun puzzles but there are some difficulties based on knowing specific styles of like absolutely or puzzle solvers and and that could be a deterrent for some people just because because this is a non-linear game you have no idea which card you're picking up you may pick up the hardest play tested one it in was, the entire i think batch. the first one i did literally was the one that when we talked to to one of the creators they basically told us like yeah that's the one that most people like one of the one of the ones that most people struggle on and i was like oh okay and i was i was definitely not looking at the hardest hardest ones and still like where do i where do i go from here uh but uh, overall like it was just cool to see the two worlds meshed. I haven't seen comics and puzzles done like this before, and that was refreshing for me. Yeah, like I said, it, the masking was just very well done. I mean, that's what I enjoyed about it. I mean, the comic itself was, you would enjoy the comic not for the puzzle. And then if you did the puzzle, you enjoyed the puzzle without the comic. Like, they both just fluently, like, meshed together. Yes, I, I totally agree. The last thing we want to mention is really just the quality of the overall production here. If you've ever played another Enigma and Poirier game, it's very clear that they stepped up their game on the product as a whole that they were giving you. The comics are big. The instruction manual, the box, it's very aesthetically pleasing. As a whole, this is a very tight and well-produced package. Yeah. And I appreciated that. It's not to say that the postcards or the box of cards that represent their other puzzle material are bad, but it's like, it's very clear that they're heading in a different direction with a production like this. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed that. Like, this is something we'll put on our shelf that is very also, I think something we should mention, very, very high replayability. Oh, yeah. In terms of just handing this to somebody else. Like, this is very easily given to somebody else. I, I And I love that. And it's nice. And it's just, yeah, I, I just really want to shout that out because I think it's important because... If I saw this on the shelf at a Walmart or a Target or something like that, I'd be intrigued. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Like, yeah, it's compared to what's intriguing. else, it's, it's, it's really well done. Zach, move us now into talking about where we felt like there were some room for improvements. Yeah. Um, so we didn't have many big room for improvements. The one I'm going to talk about is probably the biggest one, and it's the one that Jared might agree with, but it was my biggest sticking point at points in the game was 
near the end of the experience, um, we started getting to the point to where we got some of the more difficult puzzles and we wanted to potentially check the head system. So we checked the head system and um, it's well done in terms of how they've organized on their website, how you can link between all of them, how you can look up certain things. My only real issue was, with it was is that they, it is tiered, um, but unfortunately it really doesn't have a like solution or a help you kind of solve the, like the puzzle um, style of hint. And what I mean by that is like, let's say you're stuck on a puzzle really hard and you look at all the hints and you're like, I literally can't get past this puzzle. I have no idea what the word I'm supposed to get from this is. Unfortunately, the, the hint system can't move you past that. It literally, right. like it has a, it has a quote unquote solution tab of its hint system, but it's basically the most giveaway can be of like, oh, well, this is the connections of all the things, but you still have to do it. Yeah. Oftentimes the solution was, here's what you should, like, this is the process. Yes. But then it wouldn't give you the answer. So then the issue still became, if you were still confused, you're stuck. You, you, you can't get the word. You don't know what it yeah. is. You're stuck on it. And we, we ran into that issue I'd say twice specifically where we, Got stuck for a little while, and then we went to the full, like, went through all the hints, and we're like, okay, you know, it's good tiered in terms of, like, the first few were pretty vague, and then it got better and better, but then when we wanted, like, more help in terms of, like, we're stuck, I would like to kind of just know more of the process to complete it and maybe show me an example of what it's like or show me the answer. Absolutely. And unfortunately, you don't get that in this experience. Because I, I like to do this sometimes. Like, there's some puzzles I just don't connect with. Yeah. I get frustrated with it. I'll take the hints that the hints don't make. I'm like, okay, let's, like, skip or pass or just give me the answer. Yeah. And then what I personally try to do, and I think you do too, is when we get the answer, we say, okay, let's reverse engineer this. Mm-hmm. And let's see what we missed. Yeah. Um, because I, I I never just like skipping a puzzle and being like, oh, that was a bad puzzle. Like, I don't understand it. Da, da, da. I want I want to get into that and really figure that out. But I agree with you. The best that you got was like solution said, do this, do this. And then and we were doing that. But, yes. you know, sometimes we were still missing like the big connection yes. or we were interpreting it, interpreting it wrong right i know it ended up being like in our honest experience when we did the meadow we we did it we had everything basically correct however we didn't do one thing that would have been important for us to do earlier on in the experience but we did it in a different way which was fine but it basically came up after we asked help from one of the creators they basically told us the same thing and we're like okay we get it and then we just realized that it we partially made it more difficult but also because of how the hint system was set up and how it explains the process we were kept getting confused based on like the wording of it yes and it was like i said it's not that it's a bad puzzle they're all very phenomenal puzzles it was just like that awkward we needed more or more specific information that led us to the like right way of doing absolutely it. it almost it almost felt like the solution should have been hint three like give us the process of how to do this. And then the solution should have been the answer. Yeah. Like the solution should literally just be the answer or like, yes. or what they could do, which I know some companies have done this. And I'm not saying they have to do it, but it's also nice. I like when some companies have like, they show like an explanation and then they sometimes show the picture too, to like make the connections. Yes. They could do that, but it, it is difficult in this game. So I'm not saying they have to, it wouldn't make as much sense, but you could make more of like an explanation of like, this is the where this letter goes. And then this is how you do this. And it makes more of that, uh, the connection between the two, I guess. One really interesting thing about this hint system that I hadn't seen in a really long time is there was also tiered ways of getting the same information. Yes. Like you could go to the website and see it there and it was really good at hiding it. It was a system to where you had to highlight it. Yes. In order to see it in the book, the booklet that you get, like if you want to do this, 
completely offline. All the hints are there in plain view, but they're ciphered. So you have to cipher them. So you could do that. Or in the hint book, there's QRs that will quickly show you as well. But I, I it, it, kind of like a like in the room for improvement. I kind of like that. Like, yeah. I kind of like the options. I always like more options. Like, yeah, maybe I don't. Maybe I want to do this completely offline and I can just do it like that. It is mostly, yeah. I mean, I would say 90% of the experience you could do offline. There is some, like in other Enigma Emporium, things that you kind of need to learn some information outside the game. Actually, there are multiple that you have to. Unless you magically know all of that information about yes. certain, um, yes. like there's one puzzle that I won't spoil too much of it, but knowing specifically all of their background information on those people and what they've done is, uh, no one knows that off the top of their head. Right. In terms it's, of, it's puzzle hunty. Yeah, there is totally. puzzle hunty, but there's less of it in this game that and most of it is self-contained or you could keep inside the booklet slash. The I agree. No, I totally agree. Moving into our second room for improvement. I want to talk a little bit more about the meta, the meta, like Zach said, it's really kind of like a two-stepper a pre-meta, and then the final meta is a way to think about it. We got stuck. We honestly had to reach out to our creator, who is our interview in our third section of the show, and ask him because we just we could not get it. And I will say Enigma Emporium does have really great customer service. Oh, yeah. So I'm not, we don't want to like dog that. Like if you really want to know, message them and they'll get back with you. They're really great at that. They're high customer service company. But my problem with the meta is that what you did in the pre-meta and what you did in the final meta felt very similar. They're both the same style of puzzle. To degree. And, and that, I, I was, again, I'm a variety person. I was looking for a little bit more of a, of a bang at the end, maybe. But it just felt like we did the same thing in the pre-meta and then did a different version of it in the post-meta. Or in the final meta. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was the same style of puzzle, just done differently. One was done, I would say, in a, in a more unique way, and then the other one was more of a basic style of it, which lets it ramp down as you do the meta, I guess, but it it is repetitive. It is the same style of a process of the puzzle, and then you just did it twice in a row, but different styles of it. Yeah, and I, I the connection was fun, but again, maybe it, you said process. It did feel a little processy, and having to do that back-to-back, that's not necessarily how I wanted to finish out what felt like such a strong game mm-hmm. for the rest of it was such w- with so many different puzzles and such variety and puzzle type. And yeah, I, I just, I didn't, I didn't enjoy that part of the experience. Not that the, again, not a bad puzzle, just not my preferences for how to close out a game. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, I, lo- I loved all the beginning of the game. I mean, all doing all 28, nine of the original like comics is, was some of the most awesome. fun I've had in a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, the ending is good. It's just, it felt repetitive, which is fair. Yeah. So. Last thing we want to say, we don't have another room for improvement. Overall, we really, really enjoyed this game. We wanted to say who this game was for. I feel like this game, more than other Enigma and Party games, really sucks you in to what they do and what they do really well. So if you asked me like, hey, I want to play an Enigma Emporium game. I'm looking for a game that's intentionally a little bit harder. This is where I would send you first within their products before I sent you to their card game or their postcard games. Mm. Is that fair? Would you say that's fair, Zach? So far from all the experiences we have played of theirs, I would say this is on the easier end, not to say it's easy. It will definitely take you a good bit of time to complete all these puzzles, but it is a good starting one. And I think I like the art style and the format of it, I think would be really fun to kind of introduce someone with, and you could take your time with doing the whole experience. Well, I think the other ones you can take your time, but it feels awkward to take breaks from. Yes. 
and how we played it, like playing the original, like wish you were here's like, I liked playing those back to back and they were longer experiences, but it felt good to not like take as many breaks. This one, you could take breaks pretty easily and come back and do like eight of them row, keep track of what you did, come back, do some more. And they're fun, like classic commas with a good puzzle inside. I also think this is a good game for many players because I think what's really great about this is watching the process that we went through. And I imagine they saw this a lot in test groups is more often than not, you're probably going to divide and conquer. Yep. And what Zach and I did was say, We'd go through it. We'd say, hey, I got this. I got this. And then if I had one that I couldn't, I'd hand it over to Zach. Or if Zach had one, he'd pass it to me. Mm -hmm. And then inevitably, when we got down to the end, there were two or three that we were just hard stuck on. Mm -hmm. But I think that works well in groups because it bottlenecks at the end, but it bottlenecks around stuff that it's like, okay, team, let's all look at this together. Yeah. And I think that works better. Like, again, my ideal group for games like this is usually two unless the game demands more of it. Mm -hmm. But I could see us playing this with three or four and not having much of an issue whatsoever. No, I think it'd be still just as fun of an experience. I think near the end, it'd be a little bit more difficult with four people, but it's the same thing. I think this game does function well with like two to four pretty easily. Yeah. And unless those two to four are really puzzly people, I wouldn't plan on playing this in an evening. Oh, yeah. I think this is a mini multi-hour game based on how you decide to use your hint system, um, but could be enjoyable over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. But that's really all we have for this section overall. Really enjoyed funny pages. Again, the room for improvements weren't huge. I'm I'm vibing it. Like I really liked this experience from Enigma Emporium overall. Yep. It's another one of my favorites to get to add to my board. So <laughs> you're all about it. That's really gonna wrap us up for our first section. Hang on, we got puzzle to the people coming at you next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for puzzles to the people. Man, I'm just really enjoying Deadbolt Mystery Society games lately. They're just giving me a real sense of nostalgia. Yeah, I've been really enjoying them. My favorite part about them is they just feel balanced. You get a little bit of an escape room, a little bit of a murder mystery. It kind of reminds me of those cartoon TV shows I grew up on. Same. There's one I'm specifically thinking of. It kind of involves a dog and some humans in it. Oh, the Jetsons. I love that show. Okay, close but wrong. No, they kind of like solve mysteries together. Oh, Courage the Cowardly Dog. Okay, they don't solve mysteries. Courage literally does random things. Jared, I was specifically trying to tell you it's Scooby-Doo. Mm, that doesn't sound right. No, 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 Blue's Clues. Okay, they are solving puzzles and mysteries, but no, 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 no. I'm talking about Scooby-Doo. Well, at least the good thing for our listeners is if you like adult Scooby-Doo, you can play a Deadbolt Mystery Society game. And when you want to go purchase one, you can put in the promo code PC15 for 15% off subscriptions and single one-time boxes. No, I've got it. It's Air Bud. Jared, that's a real-life dog that's not even animated, and he doesn't even solve crimes. Welcome back to Puzzling Company here in the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio. If you haven't checked out a Deadbolt game before, deadboltmysterysociety.com. Really one of the creators that we work with that has a lot of options, Zach. Mm -hmm. Our game type for everybody, really cool themes and stories. Check them out. Here in the middle section, we do a lot of things. We talk reviews. We talk a lot of time, just stuff that is directly applicable to this game, but makes sense in the wider world. Zach, today we're going a little off script. We're not going to do reviews and we're not going to talk about something that is specifically a part of the game, but I feel like is more broad to the community and the audience that listens to us. Okay. Because if you're listening to this podcast, 
I'd say there is a high percentage chance that you have a Kickstarter addiction or another crowdfunding problem. Fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. fair. It's one of the many things that we commiserate about is why would you post that in the, in our Facebook group? Of course I'm going to buy it now. Yep. But how I want to kind of frame this conversation is we see so many of the games that we have played come across crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to you and ask you this question first. Why is that so important to our community, especially our community of creators? Why, why in your mind do you think a lot of our creators go there? And I just kind of want to have a, a conversation about that with you. Interesting. It's actually something that I'm not the most knowledgeable of. I, I've always found crowdfunding very good. It's definitely one of the best ways that you can do it. I think why it just works so well in our community is it's a pretty, I'm going to say tight-knit. I mean, there are other people who enjoy, enjoy puzzles or at-home games, but I feel like if you do like the PPGM group um, and stuff like that, there's a lot of people who really love and enjoy the games that we get to play, you know, that we, like we get to play every week, but also all the people at home get to. And it's really nice to be able to kind of go out to the like to the crowd and be like, hey, we're working on this great game. We have like this budget. But, you know, if you're able to help support us, we're able to be able to do more and achieve bigger. And we're looking for help to kind of make this dream come true. Yes. And there's a lot of really good games that have happened because of Kickstarters, because it, you get the crowd and everyone else involved to kind of like help support it and make it a thing. It's just one of the best ways because I just think it works with such a well knit community of people who want to like let these things like succeed. Absolutely. And, and I think the other thing is it kind of branches out of that community as well, because it's a platform that is getting more eyes than you could by just putting it on your Facebook page. Yeah. Right. I feel like I live on Kickstarter. Yeah. It is honestly, if we're going to be really real on this show today, we all have our apps that we go to when it's time for number two. You you look at Kickstarter. I love looking at Kickstarter in my we'll call it my downtime. Yeah, I that's one hundred percent true. I do occasionally walk in on you, not in the not walk there. in okay, on okay. me no, no, no. In, the, Whoa. in our office. Whoa. In our office, <laughs> looking at Kickstarter. Okay, how dare you? I've heard one at home. I do not walk in on Jared using the bathroom ever. I just go over to his house. I'm like, hello, Jared. What are you doing? Oh, I see you're oh, looking you at must, Kickstarter. You must be on Kickstarter. You're, you're you see the new project. <laughs> oh, that was amazing. That was an amazing moment. I'm in, glad you enjoyed in it. Puzzling company. <laughs> but I love it because I, yeah, I'm always looking at board games, other smaller yeah. video games, but it is like, I feel like it gives, especially the individual creator, that platform. Yeah. That is so important to getting their name out there. And then Kickstarter does a good job of, picking up on projects they love and categorizing them. I love that. And, and that's what funny pages is. And funny pages is interesting to me because some of their other games have been Kickstarters, mm -hmm. but it seems like even for bigger game creators, they're putting games back out there. And this was really big for us during COVID lockdown. So many games came out on Indigo uh, Indiegogo, Kickstarter, other crowdfunding platforms. And it's just really unique to me and really cool to see games get that original start. What else do you love about seeing games on crowdfunded places? This is an interesting topic I'm going to go down. I think it also keeps things accountable. I think one of the coolest things is you get to see the progress of the game, mostly through Kickstarter. Um, a lot of companies get to do that where they kind of give you updates on how the progress is going, if things are shipping, kind of the progress. But it keeps them accountable in terms of like, well, you have a bunch of people watching you do this now and you have to like kind of keep up some of your end of the bargain and, you know, 
if things are going wrong or you need like feedback, you get more feedback available through those websites. And it, I think it's just nice because I think sometimes, and this happens a lot on Kickstarters, there are failed projects or projects that kind of become, and not anyone in our community realistically, but you know, there are scammy projects where they kind of just use the money and, you know, yes, Jared, to give me a face that it happens. Um, it does happen in our community, community from time to time. Yeah. But we try to, oh, on know, the whole, we're on the whole, we're pretty lucky that we we're don't an honorable bunch. Yes. So, but it, it's one of those hard things that you see Kickstarters and you want to support them and then you get some bad apples occasionally and it throws off you wanting to do it more. And that's what stinks. And that's anything in life. But what I like about it is that it does keep a lot of the bigger creators or the people that I trust with my money, like accountable and be like, Oh, like I supported you. You know, I supported you early through the process. That's really cool. I get to watch you build it and you kind of get to keep in communication with me. Like, Hey, your project's going well, like we're building it. We're about to start shipping here in the next few months. That's really cool. It's very nice to be able to have that kind of closer relationship to the creator in terms yes. of being able to support them. Yeah. I think that's super important. The connection between the consumer and the creator is right there yep. on that platform. I think that's an awesome point that you made. Some of the other things that I love about the Kickstarter is, and we got to experience in this is the ability to, for add-ons yeah. that you maybe wouldn't get once this is all said and done. Like we got the promo pack. Yep with this game with Emerald flame, we got the apprentice pack. Yep. You get these things that if you really are kind of have a pinch on for collecting, mm -hmm. then you, you kind of get some cool stuff with it. And I love that. And that's really hard for me because I'm always like, I need the legendary expedition $500 pack. Like, I need that. We need that, Zach. Yeah. It's a $50 game. Jared goes, hey, Zach, we put $500 of our, our business money into uh, this super duper edition of the game. I'm like, okay, as long as I get to keep the item. Yeah, what's, what's the return on investment? What's ROI on that? Uh, I don't know. But it does. like, And I think that ropes in with what you're saying because now you may have like a one-of-a-kind thing from the artist or yeah. you may be listed in the manual or they, the creators do such a great job. But again, that, that there's something there that you're not going to find somewhere else on the shelf. Mm -hmm. And with that, I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. And this is kind of one of the big sections that I see between big box games and with a lot of our creators that go on Kickstarter, which one I don't think is better than the other. I think you have so much more freedom to put whatever you want in your game on a Kickstarter game versus the... I don't know if I want to call it the limitations of what big box, but in big box world, it's a formula, it's mm -hmm. weight, it's mass production. They're not going to let you put whatever you want in that box game. Right. Yeah. I feel like I see a little bit more freedom these days, but think about like what Nick Moran is producing right now. Yeah. You're not going to see that. No one's going to let him put that on the shelves of Walmart. Well, yeah, they're just very different. And it lets, I think what the really cool part about Kickstarters or any of those kind of go fund, those fundraising websites for any project is that it, it lets people like live out their dream in terms of creating projects and things that people, they want to make for others to enjoy or for themselves to enjoy. And it's really cool because like you said, there is not as many limitations to like, oh, if I want to do a game that's a little bit more inappropriate, you know, and wants to be a bigger experience and have more than like a, a three pound box. I'm allowed to create that. Like Absolutely. I can do that and people can support it and get it and I can ship it to them in a different way. You know, I don't have to go through a big mass market company to like try to get it out to big stores, you know, and like you said, it is really cool because there is a lot of mass market companies now that they do have a formula, but they've been really cool to be able to keep innovating. And it's really fun to get to see some of those big companies 
still do new and unique things that isn't like the same box over and over and over yes. again. Like Funny Page is an example, but other Kickstarter like games let people create really cool, unique projects that realistically can't go on most normal shelves at a store. I just think that, like you said, it gives options. And I think the other thing that it gives and that I notice in Kickstarter is this is where we see most of our new creators come to Yeah, is crowdfunding. Because again, how else are you going to get the word out there? Also, how do you get the money? Some, for some people, honestly, it is also like, how do you get money? Yeah. Like, how do I just get like $10,000 to create this project? Absolutely. If I don't, you know, have it myself or have a way to potentially get a loan or whatever, you you know, business way you're going to get the money you need for the project. It lets you, like you said, kind of do your own shark tank to the world and go like, uh, this is my really cool thing I want to build that I want other people to be able to play. Uh, here's what I'm able to do with it. If you support me, I'm able to achieve it. Absolutely. So. And I, I wish, I, I just want to keep seeing more because a lot of our first season one guests, I'm thinking like the first quarter of the year, were some just some really cool Kickstarters. Yep. Um, some people that got their start there. And when I look around the wall, so many of our creators have gotten our gotten their start there and they still release. And I think that's the great thing about crowdfunding is I don't think crowdfunding is always just a step and then you get picked up by some big label or... Um. There is so much matriculating through crowdfunding sources. Like we had Evan uh, from Van Ryder Games. And if you go, if you're listening to this, go look at how much was sold for his last or final girl project. That's big dollars Mm -hmm. going through a Kickstarter campaign. You don't know who is going to find you on that campaign. And there's just so much to leverage. It doesn't mean that every single project can or should get funded. Mm -hmm. But it is your opportunity. And, and to me, it's a really exciting time. Like I think when we got when we started the escape rooms, it's your chance to like risk it, risk it. Yeah. To put it out there. And so I know that we enjoy supporting people there. Um, and if you're listening, find something that you love out there. We always try to keep up to date with a lot of the Kickstarters that are coming out there. If you have questions about what's out there, message us. I also think of uh, what was it? Book of Dreams. Yeah. That just got crowdfunded and all of that money is going to, I believe it's Doctors Without Borders. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. And that was something that we enjoyed. There's also some people doing some cool stuff like that where it's like, this is the perfect place for us to fund a charity. Yeah. I just love it. Like it, it's more of that, you know, kind of like borderless world yeah. that I feel like all of us are living in right now where we can all across the world support stuff. That's what I love about all this. I think that's why it's important to talk about this and for Zach and I just to say like, Hey, this is what we really love it. And honestly, Fundy pages is a really fantastic game that found its way to our table. We're looking at it right now through a crowdfunding website. Yep. So, um, if you're a creator out there and you're, you have more questions, message us, we can get you in contact with the people who are the Kickstarter gurus who know what they're talking about Mm -hmm. because it can be really challenging, but we want you to get into the hands of the right people. And again, if you're a listener out there and you're like, Hey, what's out there that's great on Kickstarter right now, I'm sitting there every day doing my business, finding the next great game that we hope to have on the podcast. And there's me walking in (laughs) and there's Zach (laughs) says he's so eloquently, but not bar. Would you say barging in or I'm just walking walking in on you? Yeah. Well, I was walking in the office, but you know, also when you're using the toilet, apparently (laughs) that's too wonderful. That's too wonderful. I think we should end it there. Yeah. That's pretty good. Keep it short and sweet. That's fantastic. We've got questions for creators coming at you next. 
There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Hey everyone, Jared here. And if you've listened to the podcast for any amount of time, you know that Zach and I love to test our skills as private investigators. We've done this for local police departments, federal agencies, and we always seem to catch our bad guy. But one of our favorite companies to do that with is Unsolved Case Files. They have a really great product. Their game works through envelopes. Every time you solve part of the case, you open another envelope and you get to dig into even juicier and deeper details until you finally figure out what's going on. They have a great online input system for their answers. And of course, as we always talk about, a great hint system to complement it when you get stuck and you're looking for that extra nudge. Personally, we love these games because they tell great stories. Those stories have great twists and the connections that you are making to solve the case lead to those super satisfying aha moments. Me personally, I like these games because they're what I call one sitting games, which means they take about an hour to two hours and you don't have to worry about a cliffhanger ruining it if you want to get all the way through it. You're getting an entire story, an entire game every time you play an unsolved case file games. Currently, there are eight of these games out there. You can find these games at unsolvedcasefiles.com. And just for being one of our listeners, you can get 15% off by using the code PUZZLE15, all one word, PUZZLE15 at unsolvedcasefiles.com. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now here in the third section of the show that is questions for creators brought to you by Deadbolt Mystery Society Studio. If you guys haven't played a Deadbolt game yet, you totally should. Um, in this section of the show, we get to talk to the amazing people who help create the game or help produce it, stuff like that. Um, we got to talk to one of the creators, um, a very, very, very nice gentleman. We always get to enjoy getting to talk to him. But I don't want to say too much about him. I want to kind of keep it for the interview, but uh, you'll get to beat them very shortly. And now we can honestly say we've had the entire Enigma Emporium team. We had Kiara in season one, and let's see who we're going to meet in season two. So, Logan, just tell us a little bit about yourself and about your company. Yeah, so I'm Logan Giannini. Uh, I am half of the team at the Enigma Emporium. So I do half of things. Kiara Foss is the other half. Uh, we're, it's a split down the middle, even partnership. We both came to it out of escape rooms. Um, we, I was the director of operations at an escape room here in the Twin Cities uh, for about five years. Kiara was one of the very first people that I hired when I was staffing up when we were opening. Um, and she quickly became the assistant manager, and it became clear we had similar tastes in puzzles and games and similar aspirations. When it became clear that the ownership team at that escape room had no interest in any you know, like outside projects and at-home games, Kiara and I were just kind of like, okay, well, let's do our own thing. And the Enigma Emporium was born, and that was four or five years ago now which sounds really crazy when I say it out loud. Um, and we've been doing it. Uh, it's it had kind of you know, an up and down trajectory for, for a while. We had a ton of time to throw at it and we were cranking out projects. You know, we dipped our toe in, but things were well-received and we started, you know, burning ahead with projects and then things got busier. Um, I switched jobs from the escape room to my current position, which is in board game design and the amount of free time I had to throw at the Enigma Emporium lessened a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's who I am and kind of where we're at right now. Logan, we know you work for a board game company and like to play a lot of board games. Do you find inspiration for the puzzle games that you make from more traditional board games? And 
Do we see any of that in the funny pages? I think the habits are the same, like how I go about designing things. I, I approach things very much the same. Um, I'll, I'll start with kind of an endpoint or I'll look at it holistically, but it's the same as when I'm sitting down trying to come up with, you know, mechanics for a certain board game or, you know, trying to populate uh, certain certain <laughs> spreadsheets. I do a lot of spreadsheets with board game design and tackling that is, is very similar to the puzzles. Um, I'll kind of sit back and I'll look at it and go, what, what do I need to kind of make this a cohesive whole? I think the biggest thing for me that differs that I've had to get used to kind of going back and forth is playtesting. So playtesting with board games is different because I can playtest my own board game. I know what I want it to feel like. I can sit down and I can play what I've designed. I can see how it strikes me. And obviously you want lots of outside playtests and feedback as well. Like there is an iteration loop just like anything. With puzzles, I can't do that at all. Like I'll draft something, whether it's a single puzzle or a whole postcard or a whole game. And I have the best intentions in mind, but I have no idea if it is the level of difficulty or the level of clarity that I envision it to be. I can get no read on that myself. Whereas with board games, I'll mock something up. I'll sit down, I'll play it. I'll go, oh, that, that didn't go the way I wanted or it didn't feel right. I'll tweak it. I'll try it again. I, I can't do that with puzzle games. And uh, it's a very different beast trying to get that feedback um, as you need it. And similarly, you can't have the same person, for the most part, play test twice because they already know the structure and what you're going for. And even if they've just seen half of it, they're not going in apropos of nothing and you're not going to get the accurate read that you need to get. So we know from other Enigma Emporium experiences you have, um, there's a lot of difficulty when it comes to some of the puzzles, you know, and I think you are great at making puzzles. So one of the questions I actually have for you is the difficulty intentional that you make in kind of the puzzles you do in the Enigma Emporium, or is it more of like a passive thing? It's 100% intentional. When Kiara and I were first kind of looking for our hook, looking for our direction, where we developed this whole aesthetic of these are going to be gritty and crunchy and you're going to have to dig and you're going to have to research, you're going to have to step outside yourself, you're going to have to step outside the box. It was because that was what we wanted um, to play. That was something that we didn't see in the marketplace five years ago. We were playing exit games. We were playing unlock games. We were playing deadbolt. And again, this is not a knock on those. I love all of those series. They're phenomenal, but we didn't want to do the same thing somebody else was doing. And, you know, you drop $25 or $15 on a game. And most of those, at least the, the good ones, like the, the bad ones take a little longer, but the good ones, you kind of sit down and, once you've done a couple, they'll, they'll take 20, 30 minutes. And our goal was to make something that was still satisfying, like not unfair, obviously, but something that you really did have to sink your teeth into, but gave you a much bigger return on your dollar investment time-wise. So our first game, Wish You Were Here, the postcard game, we the reason we decided to start with a game that was five postcards was it was very cheap to produce. And so we could sell it at a very low price point, but give people potentially, you know, if, if, if this is not something you do a ton, it could take eight to 10 hours to solve through that whole game for 15 bucks. Um, and that was, that was kind of the goal starting out and, and we've kind of kept it true. And, and you're very right. It's, it's not for everybody. We, go out of our way to to try and be upfront about that. Like, hey, this is the style of game we make. If this is not your style, 
don't buy it. Like you're going to hate it. And that's okay. There's other things for you to like. Now we don't get to everybody. And some people get through and they're like, this is the worst thing I've ever played. It's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's not for you. Logan, I'm interested because again, back on the board game things, the earlier games that you made, you had the postcards, you had the deck of cards. I'm wondering if in the future, we're ever going to see a game from you that has more of a board game style and feel to it. So funny pages was kind of our test the waters on that front. Like you've, you've got a copy in front of you, you know, it's a bigger box. Like the box feels like a, a board game. It's that kind of clamshell coffin box, beautifully produced um, linen finish on the printouts. It's got some non-paper elements in there, just a couple. Um, that was kind of our like, Hey, what is this going to be like to go through this process of producing this thing overseas? Cause for the most part, you either can't get board games um, and more elaborate items manufactured in the United States. Or if you do, it's cost prohibitive. The infrastructure just doesn't exist to make most things here. And those that do are going to be at a big markup. So people are going to balk at paying those prices when things are already expensive because of how international logistics have gone. Um, so Funny Pages was us testing the water. Cart Rouge <clears throat> was produced overseas. But again, it's just a small deck of cards. And the company that we worked with made things super easy. This was us really diving in the deep end and saying, hey, we're going to work with this Chinese manufacturer. We worked with a company named Boda. Uh, they were fantastic. But it's, it's a whole other set of logistical issues and things to figure out, timelines to juggle. And it was, um, it was not the best experience. Now, that's not to say the experience itself in a vacuum would have been poor. But we ran the campaign while COVID hit. And that pushed the campaign back and that changed the landscape. And then we ran things, but then things got worse and shipping regulations changed and international freight regulations changed and there were factory shutdowns. And all in all, it was just a very tumultuous production process. And I can't speak to the future, but I know we're, we're, we're both kind of worn out just from spending a year and a half trying to get funny pages done and out the door. And miraculously, we shipped on time. Europe is fulfilling now, but I think we had promised March, April. And somehow, despite all the delays and whatnot, we hit March, April. But uh, it was it was exhausting, especially for, uh, put it to put it into context, you know, there's two of us. And, you know, we both have other jobs and other things that we're doing. It's different than most game companies where they've got one person or a whole department devoted to making sure that goes smoothly. And the designers at Chip Theory, I have nothing to do with that. And I love it. It's beautiful. I help design the games and then other people get them made. Logan, we know that you have really gotten to a lot of reading. You've been reading a lot lately and we've been seeing some of that on our, like the Facebook group, stuff like that. Um, can you tell us a little bit if, does reading influence anything that you do with your projects? Kind of just like certain things you read or how formatting in those books or specific knowledge you've gained help you create different styles in your games? It's funny. I'm, I'm sure on a subconscious level, it, it feeds into that. But what I read, I, I don't, on a surface level, I don't see any direct influence on the kinds of games I want to make. Um, especially like over the last two and a half years, I've really got into reading horror. Um, as a genre, which is not something I grew up reading. I'm, I'm relatively new to it. So I've been trying to catch up like lots of classic 70s, 80s, 90s pulp horror, um, which has been really fun. And you contrast that with something like Funny Pages, which is like just the brightest, poppiest, most cheerful thing in the world. I don't know. I, I, I 
feel like my fiction input doesn't directly speak to my puzzle design, I wouldn't say. Occasionally, I'll get in my head like, oh, I'm really enjoying this story. Could I do a story like that in a puzzle setting? But mechanically, I think they're very separate for me. So we talked in another one of our podcasts about difficulty. And you've already said that the games that you make are intentionally more difficult. I'm interested, what formula goes through your mind in making a game difficult, but keeping it fun? Well, first of all, I'm sure there are people out there who would tell you that I, I don't do that very well. Um, but I, I, I think I think it works pretty well. But um, it's it's a balancing act. Like, it's really a balancing act. I think one of the best things you can do is sprinkle in those feel-good moments early. I'll talk about funny pages since that's, you know, the, the game du jour and you've got it, you know, right there with you. It has some very easy puzzles in it. Like it has one or two that you look at, you glance at it, and you're like, well, it's this. No, it can't possibly just be that. But it is. And it, it primes the pump. It gets you going. And because you don't have to solve them in any set order, um, obviously things fall into place. There is a meta that kind of shifts as you get further and further into the game. But really, you can solve them in any order, and you're just going to find that natural complexity gradient. At least that is that is the goal, that it will sort itself out. If you're stuck on something, you're going to put it down, and you're going to find something that speaks to you a little bit more. And if that doesn't click into place yet, you're going to put it down, you're going to find something else. And then when that one does, maybe you go back to the, the last one you were stuck on, and you find that complexity gradient of puzzles as you go. That is one of the reasons I've, for, for the most part, now there are exceptions um, in our games, like there are little linear pathways um, in some of them, but for the most part, you can take our games, you can spread them out in front of you, and you can start trying to solve anywhere. You can start with whatever is speaking to you at any given time and just you know figure that out, write that information down. You may not be able to follow the narrative path yet, but you can work your way to the more difficult ones. And I think in some ways it, it speaks to that knowledge base we were talking about um, earlier. It, it builds you up. It not only builds your confidence, but it gets your brain thinking in the right way. Um, I think you can prime people with certain patterns, with certain types, of logical you know, steps that they'll have to use later on in a more complex way. Like, oh, I had to look at this thing, or I had to look up this little bit of information. And then later on, you're stuck. You go, oh, wait, maybe I have to look up this and it'll take me to, you know, this thing. I hope that makes sense. I know I'm rambling a little bit on that one, but uh, that's sort of my approach to it is kind of a good cross section. I, I don't want all the puzzles should never be the same difficulty. So a question, Logan, for you is, you know, we, we talk about all the different things you kind of enjoy or get to do. We know that you actually are a moderator in the PPGM group on Facebook and stuff like that. Can you kind of tell us what led you to kind of taking on a role as a moderator in that group and all the things you do? So I'm, <laughs> I'm chuckling because I don't know if, if you know the story of how the group came to be or not, but basically the, the group was founded, I don't want to say out of spite, but maybe out of stubbornness and, and sticking to you know certain principles. Um, basically, I'll, I'll try to boil it down in a nutshell, but I, I still cracks me up a little bit. There was another puzzle group that's probably still going. I don't know. And, you know, it was two or 3,000 people, I think. So about the size Puzzle People is now. And another puzzle maker um, in the community 
on their own business page, like not in puzzle group on their own business page, posted something that they were donating to help bail out some people who had been arrested at, I believe it was, I think it was the George Floyd protests, um, but something, something around there. And this puzzle maker was, you know, supporting those people who had gotten arrested completely separate from the group. Anyway, one of the moderators of the group took such exception to that, that they immediately kicked and blocked that puzzle maker out of the group. Just apropos of nothing, just you're gone. I can't believe you would do something. I don't support the politics of this. Like just ridiculous. And when I realized that, I was like, well, hey, if that's how you feel, you should probably kick Kiara and I too. He immediately did. And I immediately went and started puzzle people. And I was like, no, well, we're going to have, we're going to have a better group and we're just going to do what is going on here, but we're going to do it better. And my, my goal with it was always a place again, where, where people, you know, felt welcome, where the conversation was, you know, again, around puzzles, but people really felt comfortable and at home. And, you know, ultimately I wanted it to be a little bit more interactive, like not just a message board, but a place where, you know, the moderator team, you know, occasionally did you know, a giveaway or a contest or supported new creators, supported existing creators, like a place that was really engaged with the community. And I will say, as my life has gotten busier, I have been less and less involved than I was originally and wanted to. And thankfully, the rest of the moderator team is, is absolutely fantastic. Like they do a phenomenal job of engagement and moderation and all of that. And really, yeah, they're phenomenal. I'm super curious to know what you guys are cooking up next. Funny Pages was wonderful. Will we see more postcards? Like what's what's coming in the future of Enigma Emporium? So I, I haven't actually discussed with Kiara what I should say on this. So I'm just going to fly blind and wing it a little bit. I will say I'm working on our next game. The first iteration of it is probably about 65 to 70% done. I was clipping along at a nice rate and then I got COVID and it kind of knocked me out of commission for the last two, three weeks. Um, I'm getting over it now, but yeah, I, I don't know when I'll be able to pick that thread back up, but um, it, it's coming along. It is holiday themed. Um, we're doing something like a little bit outside of our, our usual, as far as that goes, it's going to be a standalone. And the goal is to roll it out this year uh, before the holidays, obviously ideally three or four months before the holidays. So people have plenty of time to pick it up if they want for them, pick it up if they want for gifts. And I think this is not locked in yet. So I'd say don't quote me on this, but it's a podcast. So you know, my words are etched in stone. I think we're leaning towards putting it straight to retail. Like we're, we're just going to put it up for sale on our web store instead of running a Kickstarter or a GameFound or any kind of crowdfunding campaign for it. And a question we ask everyone, Logan, what have you been playing lately? Is there any other board games, video games, um, puzzle style games, reading, anything that you would kind of shout out to other people to be able to partake in or listen to or play? All right, let's see. So board game, I probably my favorite thing currently that I'm playing right now is a board game called Cascadia. It's a very sleek, very straightforward game that is a brain burner. And I absolutely love it. I haven't played the solo mode, but my brother who taught the game to me says the solo mode is terrific. So yeah, look up Cascadia. For puzzle games, I have been out of the loop for a while. They've been piling up and I just got to playing. And I know I'm a year or two behind everybody else on this, but I just played box one, finally. Neil Patrick Harris's box one. I had a delightful time with it. It's, it's what we were talking about earlier of that, you know, everywhere is at a different place. I was at that place, you know, five or six years ago. It would have blown my mind. 
now with the amount of puzzle games that I've played, I open it up and unfortunately I got to the ending in the first 30 seconds and I was like, oh, ooh, I'm not supposed to be here yet. And so I went back and I played it properly. But it, it, again, it's the sort of thing that if I didn't have five or six years of poking at the walls, I think I would have enjoyed a lot more. So depending on where you're at in your puzzle journey, it's going to hit you differently, but it's very well done. Like they did a great job. It's, it's one of the quintessential entry-level puzzle games, I would say. And then reading, I just finished um, a book called My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones, who it's kind of an homage to horror um, while being a horror book on its own, but it also, it, it has a lot of, pop culture horror, I don't want to say pop culture references because I feel like that makes it trite, but it really, it's steeped in the history of horror. And Stephen Graham Jones is probably one of the best modern horror writers. Um, I'm slowly working my way through his bibliography. So if people like horror, um, it's a really fantastic novel. Um, And that's, I'm trying to think, I don't think I've watched anything recently. I haven't watched a movie recently. Kind of what I'm playing, reading, and puzzling right now look us up on Facebook, the Enigma Emporium. Uh, we are slowly getting back to more social media posts. For a long time, we posted a social media puzzle every week. I think we did that for like the first year and a half to two years we were running the company. Eventually, it got really hard to do that and actually design the puzzles that we wanted to produce and sell to people. So we fell off a little bit, but we're starting to do that a little more. So if you follow us on Facebook, you'll see more probably not weekly, but monthly or bi-monthly puzzles that are super fun. And then keep an eye on the website. Funny Pages is not available on the web store yet. We're waiting until most of the people in the EU and the UK have gotten their copies, which is in progress. So Funny Pages should be available soon. Next month sometime, I think, is 100% the goal. So if you didn't grab that one when it was on Kickstarter, keep an eye out. I'm super proud of it. I'm biased, but I think I think it's some of our best work. Logan, thank you so much. It was a pleasure getting to talk to you. We look forward to having you on in the future and playing more stuff by you. Yes. If you're interested in checking out any of the games by um, Enigma Emporium, you can go to theenigmaemporium.com and you can check out all of the cool stuff. They are puzzle-heavy and a lot of fun if you enjoy the toughness. Yep. Also, you can find them at Enigma Emporium on Facebook, social medias, hit Mm -hmm. them up. Just, again, a really cool tandem team that we're excited to get to know. Zach, we told people how they can help Enigma Emporium. By the way, if you've played an Enigma Emporium game, leave them a great review because we think they're great games. How can people help us out on our journey? It's a great question. Um, there are many different things you can do to help out Puzzling Company. The first thing is you can go support us on Patreon. You can join the other patrons that we have there. Um, you get to see episodes early, get to be in our Discord, get to get games from our online experiences as well so they can join in and get to play the games with us or by themselves at their own time. Um, it's just a really fun place to be able to interact with everyone and kind of support the things that we are doing. You can also leave us a five-star review on uh, any of the platforms that you listen to this podcast on, if that is Spotify, iTunes, Google, wherever. Uh, We always appreciate getting to see those great reviews. And the final thing you can do is go and support us on our different social medias by following us. You can go to at Puzzling Company on Facebook and at Puzzling Company on Instagram. Zach, do you know where we're going next week? No idea. Let's get digital, digital. Oh, we have a digital game. Oh, yeah. Ooh, okay. Does it involve a cook-off? It does. Excellent.
we're going to be playing with our good friend Colby. Let's say Colby's cook-off. Colby's cook-off. <laughs> I love, I love that. Yes. <laughs> this was actually a game that was recommended to us by a guest we had on. And actually we've heard it from a number of people. Yes. Um, but we'll be checking that out next week and uh, super excited to get to play that and kind of stay in the, the puzzle hunty world. Yep. So for Jared and Zach, this has been another episode of puzzling company. We'll see you next week. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been Globe Media Network Podcast.